Welcome to our service of worship this morning. It's wonderful to be able to share together in God's Word, to be able to know that we are connected by His Spirit and to be with one another as the family of God wherever you might be this morning, whether you're right around the corner here in Bundaberg or right across the world, whether you're watching this live or listening to the podcast or watching a recording later on in the week. May you know that God is with you and that we are connected because God is above time and space and distance. As you begin the service, please take a moment to tell us where you're watching from. Send us a comment, uh, whether you click the like button or whatever. You can engage with us throughout the sermon. And uh, you're welcome to make comments on the sermon as well and ask questions and put in uh, engage with us as we go through the morning's worship. Uh, we try to get to all of the comments as quickly as we can, and certainly by midweek, if you've written a question or whatever, we will certainly have responded to that. So as I say, welcome, connect with us, let us know where you're watching, and may God be with us and bless us with the presence of His Holy Spirit over the next 45 minutes. As you gather with those around you, or even if you're on your own, may I say to you, the peace of the Lord be with you. Thank you. Take a moment to greet those if there are people with you, and if not, know that you are blessed with God's peace uh, as we greet each other. <clears throat> a couple of notices to begin with. Our Connecting Conversations will be taking a break over the next two weeks for uh, the school holidays, so there will be no connecting conversations on Tuesday night, uh, this week or next week, but we'll be back once the school term begins. Also, to remember, next week will be our communion service, so if you can make sure that you have some bread or wafers and some juice uh, or even water with you, and we will share together in the sacrament of Holy Communion next week. And then I know that many are wondering about when we are going to reopen. We've sent out uh, uh, our usual newsletter that contains some information this week. And in the next coming weeks, we'll be sending out more information as uh, more of the rules become known to us. Just uh, uh, a word to say that I know we hear on the news that indoor gatherings are open for so many people or 100 people or whatever the ruling is, and it sounds like we could get back to meeting straight away. Unfortunately, we are still subject, those gatherings are still subject to uh, the limitation of four square meters per person and seven square meters per person if there is singing, which means the capacity of our church uh, is significantly uh, smaller, and at this stage, uh, that makes meeting quite difficult. We have heard that they are, the Queensland government is looking at following uh, some of the other states in uh, moving that four square meters down to two square meters, which would make a substantial difference. But we'll keep you informed, and if you haven't been informed, if you haven't caught any of those newsletters, please drop us an email, and we'll put you onto that mailing list straight away. As we continue this morning, we are following the sermon series, Soul Keeping, and uh, once again, just to give acknowledgement to John Ortberg and Dallas Willard in particular, this morning also Eugene Peterson, uh, whose works have been used in preparation of this series. 
Let us come before God in prayer. Almighty God, as we gather in our homes across Bundaberg and across the world, we thank you, Lord, that wherever we are, your Holy Spirit is with us. That we are never alone, we are never left, uh, left to our own devices. You are there. Your love reaches out to us, your Spirit prompts us. You are aware of our thoughts and our feelings and our emotions, our joys, our sadness, our happiness, our insecurities. All of these things you know. You love us through them. You desire to be with us in them. You desire nothing more for our souls to connect with you and to be integrated, body, mind, soul, and spirit, to be connected with what, what your will for is for our lives. We pray, Heavenly Father, that as we journey through the sermon this morning and listen to more of, of what it means to care for the most important part of ourselves, that your word would come alive to us and speak clearly to us, that we may know, Lord, that as we join in worship, there you, you connect with us and, and are waiting to be blessed by our worship. May it truly be a blessing to you, we pray. May what we do in this service honor you. May the attitude of our hearts and minds and spirit be something, Lord, which brings glory to your name. And as we rejoice in the sense of hearing you speak, may we be challenged and take what we hear and put it in place in our lives. Forgive us, Lord, for those moments where we have heard you speak and ignored your voice. For those moments, Lord, where our desire for our soul to be integrated with your will has not been strong at all. Forgive us for those moments, Lord, where, where, where we have left you out or pushed you aside. But we thank you that forgiveness is a done deal 2,000 years ago on the cross. And that this morning we simply run into the open arms of your grace, to the beauty of your forgiveness, and receive from you those words which, which are music to our souls, that our sins are forgiven, and you don't even remember them. May you be blessed, may you be glorified in this next hour, we pray. To you be all the glorious. Together we say the prayer you taught us. Our Father in heaven, Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. Our readings this morning, friends, uh, the first is the very well-known reading of Psalm 23. Psalm 23, a psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the paths for the right path for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. 
Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And then reading from Matthew chapter 11, verses 27 to 30. Matthew 11, verses 27 to 30. It's also a well-known passage in which Jesus says to his disciples, All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Part of our worship is to bring before God our intercessory prayers, as well as to bring to God our gifts and our offerings. Throughout the week, people have brought offerings into the church, and many have given gifts online through internet banking and online giving. And we thank you for that and thank you for your commitment. Should you wish to do that, the details are on the website in the link just below. And uh, if you simply mark that city offering and leave your name out to be anonymous, that's 100% uh, correct or that's perfectly fine. Um, or if you wish to continue bringing gifts into the office, that's fine. And we'll do as we do this morning and dedicate them to God. Along with that, we bring to God our intercessory prayers. Let us pray. Lord God, we worship you not only with voice and heart and mind and soul, but we worship you with everything that we have. And the gifts that we give, Lord, are not something just haphazardly done, but they are an offering of our love. They are gifts, Lord, which, as we would give gifts to anyone, gifts which we hope would be a blessing, gifts which we hope demonstrate to you our love and our commitment and our desire to serve you with all that we have. Would you take these gifts, we pray, in whichever way they've been given, and use them, Lord, to bring others into knowledge of your love for them. Use them to further the work of this church and to spread your love in this community. We pray for those, Lord, who do not know your love, for those, Lord, who push away any sense of the Spirit working in their lives. We pray for those who struggle with a sense of purpose, who don't know what their meaning is. We commit them to you. And pray, Lord, that the work of this church would be so done that it reaches their hearts and minds and that this place becomes a beacon of, of light and hope for them to find their way. We pray, Lord, for those who are lonely, for those who have lost loved ones, to those who this week have received bad news or, or a difficult diagnosis, 
to those, Lord, who are undergoing uh, treatment for cancer and other illness. We pray for those, Lord, who are just in need of your touch, for whatever the reason may be. We pray, Lord, for our own needs, for those things perhaps known only to you and ourselves. We lift those needs before you as well, thanking you that you're a God who cares and a God who loves and a God for whom no prayer is ever unanswered. You know for whom each person has prayed. We lift those to you in faith and in thankfulness. And now, Lord, we pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts would be acceptable and pleasing in your sight, that what is spoken will speak into our hearts and make sense to each one of us and challenge us at whatever point we are in our walk with you. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray these things. Amen. John Ortberg went to see Dallas Willard just as he was about to take up a new placement, a new church placement. The goal of the visit was to sit at Dallas's feet and to drink in some of his wisdom and to ask him what he needed to ensure that he would make a success of that new church placement. What were the secrets? What were the tricks? What was the, the silver bullet or the magic pill that John needed to ensure that the church would grow and that this ministry would be successful? Dallas listened to the question. He thought quietly. He thought some more. And then he said in a measured, clear, and carefully thought out, deliberately, slowly spoken sentence, you must ruthlessly eliminate all hurry from your life. You must ruthlessly eliminate all hurry from your life. Well, as you can imagine, that wasn't quite the answer that John was looking for. He wanted to know what he could do for the church, not himself. He wanted to know what program he should uh, be looking at or what book he could take the congregation leadership through or what courses he could run, what leadership retreats he should be taking his elders on. He wasn't after some personal advice about himself. This wasn't about him. This was about the congregation. And so he said again, kind of brushing Dallas's uh, suggestion aside, he said, yes, yes, and, and, and then what must I do? Hurry up. And Dallas looked at him carefully and said, no, John, that's it. You must ruthlessly eliminate all hurry from your life. What an interesting answer. What an interesting bit of advice. It sounds so simple, but is incredibly complex and quite difficult to do. Especially in the day and age that we live. Even with all of the COVID-19 restrictions in place, you would have thought that it would have been easy for us to get rid of hurry completely. But that hasn't been the case at all. In fact, it's actually been the opposite. There haven't been many people that I've spoken to that have said they weren't busy during this time. In fact, many of us have been far more busy than usual as we've had to scramble to learn a whole lot of new ways of doing things that we didn't know. But this little sentence of Dallas Willard's 
takes us right into the next characteristic of a healthy soul. For those who may be joining for the first time, we are busy following a sermon series called Soul Keeping, caring for the most important part of you. It's what our, our banner is about right there behind me. And in the sermon series, we've spent time trying to understand the soul and its nature and what it needs to be healthy and how we can be faithful keepers of our soul, how we can look after and care for our soul. We began the series looking at the story of the keeper of the stream. That's why we uh, have the stream in the banner. Just to recap briefly, it's a, a story of a town, a town high in the mountains, which was defined by its beautiful stream that ran through it. Children played by the river, picnicked at its banks. It fed the town, it watered the crops, it provided the, uh, for the city's needs. In order to keep the river clean, the town employed a keeper of the stream, a man who lived near the source and whose job it was to clear the debris and the fallen branches and the leaves and to keep the water flowing. He kept it clean and looked after the springs. But after some years, the town council decided that they didn't need someone to do this job. They weren't even sure that he was actually doing it anymore. So they stopped paying him. Well, it wasn't long before the mud and the silt began to build up. Fallen branches and leaves hampered the flow of the river. Farm waste turned parts of the river into a stagnant bog. The water began to smell bad. The people began to get sick from it. <clears throat> the stream's beauty disappeared, as did the picnics and the children playing by the banks, as did all of the happiness that the stream brought. The council quickly reconvened, rehired the keeper of the stream who got to work again, and in a little while, the stream returned to health and brought back the life and the beauty that it once had. I love that story. It's a beautiful and powerful analogy for our lives. And as John Ortberg points out, the stream is our soul. And we are the keeper. And if we are to be the keeper of our souls, there are certain things we need to know about our souls and to provide for our souls. That there may be the kind of life and health that that image of that crisp, clear and beautiful stream conveys. Through the series, we've looked at the nature of our souls. We've looked at the health of our souls. We've looked at the spirit in our soul. We've looked at the things that the soul needs. The soul needs a center. The soul needs to be with God in the past, the present, and the future. And today, as we hear the advice of Dallas, we see that the soul needs rest. The soul needs rest. Rest in the beauty and presence of God's acceptance and of God's grace. The Lord is my shepherd. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. The soul needs rest. In 2005, <clears throat> I ran a course in my church called Disciple. This was a church in Pretoria back in South Africa. And if any of you have done the disciple course, you will know it's a very intense course. It demands a high level of commitment 
from every participant for the whole year and even more commitment from the person who's leading the course, which in this case was me. Over the 32 weeks of the year, you read through almost the entire Bible. They set for you every day long passages of set readings to be read. And then one evening of every week, you go in-depth in a two-and-a-half-hour study session that's led by the leader. <clears throat> now, in advertising this course, the people who created Disciple will tell you. They say, don't be shy to emphasize the level of commitment required. Don't compromise on this. Don't give in to any half measures. Don't have any half-hearted participants. Rather tell them to wait until they can commit fully to it the next year. Don't compromise. Everybody has to commit to this 100%. Everyone must commit to the daily readings. Everyone must participate fully in those weekly study sessions. And so... That's how I promoted this course. That's how I ran the course. <clears throat> but there were one or two weeks, if I'm honest, where circumstances had meant that I just didn't get a chance to get to do the daily readings on the day you were meant to do them. And every now and again, I would find myself on the day of that two-hour study session having to hurriedly read through copious amounts of Scripture, sometimes seven days' worth of readings I would have to get done in that day in order to be able to lead that study in the evening. One particular week, things had gone wrong. There were two funerals that week. The twins, who were just two years old at the time, had both been sick. Debbie, who was 11 months pregnant with Tammy, wasn't feeling all that great. And I hadn't done any of the readings for that week. <clears throat> so I sat down that afternoon, the afternoon when uh, the study session was in the evening, which I was leading. I sat down that afternoon and read like I've never read before. I just barely managed to finish the required reading about five minutes before that study session was supposed to start. Luckily, we lived next door to the church, so I grabbed my Bible and my notes, and I ran across. But the problem was that while I had finished the required reading, I hadn't even looked at the leader's material for, uh, for leading the actual two-and-a-half-hour stu study that I was supposed to be in charge of. And as I ran over to the church where everyone was gathering and all talking about the passages that I, they had read, I was thinking, what am I going to do? I'll have to fake it till I make it. I mean, how hard can it be? I'm a minister for goodness sake. I'm supposed to know this stuff anyway. I'm sure I'll just be able to handle whatever that stupid leader's manual says. I'll just wing it. Now, I'll just remind you that the key thing about this course was not to look like I hadn't prepared after I told everybody else I wouldn't compromise on the preparation they were supposed to do. So I sat down, I opened in prayer, praying mainly for myself under my breath. I opened the leader's manual on the evening's lesson for the first time, and it said right there at the top, this week you are teaching the group the importance of learning scripture off by heart. 
So start the lesson by closing all your books, standing up and reciting the 23rd Psalm to them. Now, I don't know if you've ever had the temptation to fake an illness. But as I looked at the 30 or so people around that table, expectantly waiting for me to begin, I was tempted beyond anything to fake a heart attack, an embolism, a coughing fit, an asthma attack, maybe all of them at the same time, anything that would just get me out of that situation. I mean, you might think to yourself, well, what would be the big deal? The 23rd Psalm is so well known. I even know that one. Yeah, yeah, you might think that, but let me tell you, when the pressure's on, when there's 30 people looking at you and you think about that 23rd Psalm, suddenly it all goes very fuzzy in your head. Is the valley of the shadow of death before the table's prepared for the enemies? Is your head anointed with oil before the cup overflows or after? Where does it all fit in? And suddenly the panic begins to hit. So I didn't fake an illness, but I did what any self-respecting, quick-thinking minister would do. I told the group that we would have a time of silent prayer, and I said that before we began, they should speak to the person sitting next to them and find out about their week and have a little prayer for them. And while that was happening, I knew that I had bought myself about three or four minutes so I opened the Bible, and they were praying, and I began to feverishly learn that psalm. The irony struck me while I was learning it in those few minutes, that my life at that moment was the exact opposite of the psalm that I was learning. I wasn't following a calm and comforting shepherd. I was not being in a position of, of lacking nothing, of not being in want. I didn't feel like I was beside any still waters. I wasn't feeling rested like I was lying down in green pastures. My soul was anything but restored. It was in turmoil. The irony of learning that psalm and being the complete opposite of what it was saying wasn't lost on me. In case you're wondering, I actually did manage to pull it off. But I don't think I fooled anyone there that I was actually applying what I could now recite. The sweat running down my face was probably a dead giveaway. And if there's anyone from that group in Pretoria who might happen to be watching that live stream, I'll bet you they'll be going, Aha! I knew it! I knew it! What I was saying and what I was doing were completely at odds with each other. My soul was in turmoil, but I was reciting about how God rests the soul, how God restores the soul with the most beautiful images of running water in green meadows. One of the most well-known, most favorite and beautiful psalms speaks of the fact that if the soul is to be healthy, if the soul is to be cared for, then the soul needs rest. The soul needs rest. It's interesting how Jesus in another often quoted passage says, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. My yoke is easy and my burden is light, and you will find rest for your souls. This doesn't mean that the soul needs to sit around all day and do nothing. That isn't the rest Jesus is speaking about. 
In fact, there isn't a single place in Scripture where God calls someone to do something easy that isn't going to be too taxing or isn't going to be too time-consuming or won't inconvenience them a whole lot. Whether it's Abraham or Moses or Esther or the disciples or even Jesus himself, the work God calls them to do is demanding and difficult. But when Jesus speaks about the, the word easy, it's not the circumstance he's referring to, but it is the state of the soul. Easy is a soul word, not an assignment word. Even in the psalm, there is the presence of enemies in the shadow of death. The soul was not made for an easy life, but it was made for an easy yoke. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. In other words, there is a way of connecting with Jesus, a way of caring for the soul in such a manner that despite whatever difficulties there may be in our calling, our souls can find rest. Indeed, our souls must find rest. This happens in two ways. Firstly, <clears throat> the soul finds rest in acceptance. Jesus was brought into the world by a mother who loves him. He was cared for by parents who gave him protection and nurture. And before he begins his ministry, he's baptized and comes out of the water and a voice from heaven says, You are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. You are my son. For Jesus, identity and acceptance come before achievement and ministry. This is a joy that no one can take away. You cannot earn that acceptance. You cannot do something to have it. It is a grace that is given to you and to me, which is the starting point of the soul finding rest in God. The Lord is my shepherd. I am, I am his sheep. I belong to him. I am his. I am in his care. And therefore, I lack nothing. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Couldn't do anything, it comes to me. Knowing this acceptance and believing this acceptance is incredibly important for the soul to find rest because God's acceptance is stronger than and will carry us through human rejection, which will come our way and will have to be dealt with along with the other many challenges to the restfulness of our souls. We live in times where we are easily fatigued. There's a fatigue that attacks the body. When we stay up too late, when we take on too many tasks, when we rely on Red Bull and coffee to fuel our days, sometimes both at the same time, we spend our lives rushing and try to, try to get to the closest parking space and the shortest checkout line at the shops. That's a body fatigue. We have a mind fatigue where we are bombarded with information and screens all the time that demand our attention. We are bombarded by errands and situations that need to be dealt with. We worry and don't seem to be able to fit everything in. <clears throat> That's a fatigue of the mind. There's a fatigue of the will. 
where we have so many decisions to make, what clothes to wear, what food to eat, which jobs to do, which entertainment to keep us happy, where to invest our money, where to go on holiday. So many decisions that, that, that fill our mind. That is a fatigue of the will. But when we find ourselves in that place where we struggle to accept that we are God's and that we belong to Him, that He desires in our souls to, to integrate body and mind and will in perfect harmony with His purpose for us, when we struggle to accept that God could care that much or love that much or desire that sense of connection with us, when we struggle to accept that we are good enough, that we are worthy of His love, that we are His children, then those three fatigues all combine and we're left with the worst fatigue of them all, a soul fatigue. A fatigue where we are so tired because at the heart of it, we are not following the shepherd's voice but trying to make our own way, not following his lead, nor wearing the easy yoke, but burdened by a harsh, unfitting yoke of the world. Because we don't accept that the easy yoke is actually for us. This acceptance, this foundation of a soul being at rest, it's a deep inward thing. It's, it's a connection of our identity in Christ. It is the basis on which the restfulness of the soul will be built. When Jesus faced the temptations in the desert, He's just heard at his baptism, this is my beloved son. Just heard that. And then the evil one says to him, if you are the son of God, turn these stones into bread. If you are the son of God, then throw yourself from the temple. In other words, don't listen to the voice you've just heard. Don't believe your heavenly Father that you are accepted. You have to prove it. You have to earn it. You have to make it happen. Are you really his son? Well, then show me. Make it about you. The temptations depended on getting Jesus to question his identity and God's acceptance. A soul that is at rest is about who we are, long before it's about anything we do. A soul finds rest in acceptance. Jesus says, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is is light. Put my yoke on you. In other words, you are mine. You belong to me. Hear my acceptance of you. You will find rest for your souls. I am your shepherd. You are my sheep. I will restore your soul. The foundation of our souls finding rest is in the acceptance that we are God's. We belong to him. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. The soul also finds rest in solitude. 
You must ruthlessly eliminate all hurry from your life, says Dallas Willard. When I read that, I thought to myself, well, that's easy for him to say when he said that he was retired at the time. It would be easy when you're retired, surely. But then again, I have to say that I've heard many retired people say that they're so busy now that they don't know whenever they found the time to go to work. This is not a stage of life thing. This is a soul thing. And by solitude, I mean just being alone with God and doing nothing. Do you know how hard that is? To do nothing? When was the last time you just did nothing? We've become so connected, so busy, so hurried and conditioned to the fact that we have to be doing stuff all the time that even our very wristwatches can be a source of connection to the outside world, giving messages and, and information. We've become, we've filled up our lives to such an extent that to be alone with God and do nothing is quite difficult. The other day, my car broke down, somewhere between Mergen and Childers. To be honest, I still don't know exactly where it was. If it wasn't for the magic of my phone somehow communicating to the uh, RACQ where I was, I would probably still be sitting out there waiting for someone to come and help me. My car lost all of the water from the radiator. I stopped in time. I made all the calls to the people who needed to know that I'd be late. I called the RACQ guy, I did the required Facebook post, and then I sat there with nothing else to do. And I just waited. So I took out my phone and I started to, to flip through the phone, but then I decided I might actually need to, uh, to use the battery. I only had about 80% of the phone left, and uh, I panic about that sort of thing. So, so I thought, well, I better save the battery just in case nobody ever finds me and I have to walk to safety. So I put the phone on to standby, and I just waited. I just sat there. It took about 10 minutes of thinking about everything before I remembered that this would be a good opportunity to practice what I've been thinking about for the sermon and just do nothing and be in solitude with God. Not having a quiet time or having to be reading through a devotion or a, or a scripture passage from the Bible or anything. I had done that. This was an opportunity for solitude, to be alone and to do nothing. And after another 10 minutes, my mind was quiet. And after another 10 minutes, I started to notice things. I noticed that actually wherever I was happened to be quite beautiful. I doubted whether anyone had ever stopped there. Whether anyone had seen the beauty of those trees which were unique. They had patterns in their bark and, and a rustling in their leaves. The coloration was more beautiful than I had seen when I was driving past it a hundred kilometers an hour. And all of a sudden I felt like I had stumbled into a little piece of God's artwork. There was so little traffic that it was completely quiet. And for the next half an hour, my soul rested. No phone, nothing to do, 
no decisions to make, no mental to-do list going on. Nothing. Just solitude. It was beautiful. Then the guy from the RACQ arrived and told me how expensive a blown engine was and all the rest my soul did went kind of out of the window for a few minutes. Luckily I hadn't blown the engine, but for a brief moment there was this pause. And I knew what it meant to be led beside quiet waters. To have your soul restored by the one who loves you. Obviously our souls are not made to live on the side of the road and do nothing forever. But we can bring a little bit of that into our rushed and hurried world without too much danger of sitting doing nothing. In fact, not only can we bring a little of that into our rushed and hurried world, we must do it. We must do it if we're to be obedient to God. Have you ever noticed that the 23rd Psalm says, He makes me lie down in green pastures. Not He invites me. Not He suggests to me. Not He thought it would be a good idea. He makes me lie down. This is essential for a healthy soul. If we are to be the sheep of the shepherd, if we are to do what he says, we need to follow where he leads and do what he tells us. Like I said, when was the last time you did nothing? When were you just spending time in complete solitude that you were having your soul restored? It's in solitude that we withdraw so that our souls can find rest in God. <clears throat> it's in solitude that we remember that we are not what anybody thinks of us, but we are, we are His, we are God's. The sheep of the shepherd, that's who we are. In solitude we are reminded that He is the one leading us. Solitude provides a, a shelter from the noise. It provides a, a, a way to get away from the distraction. And, and frankly, I think in this world, we've often become quite addicted to those things. We've become addicted to the noise. We've become addicted to the distraction. We are, we are rapidly forgetting how to completely switch off for half an hour. Someone once wrote, if you don't come apart for a while, as in, you know, come out of the world busyness for a while, if you don't come apart for a while, you will come apart in a while. If you don't shelter from the noise and the distraction, if you don't take the branches and the rubbish out of the mud from the, from the springs, from the stream, it will lose its health and its vitality and its beauty. The soul finds rest in solitude. Whether it's an entire day or, or a period of time set aside in the day, friends, our souls need rest. Not a change of scenery or a spiritual retreat. Those are great and they might contribute to the rest, but to remain healthy, our souls need solitude without any agenda, without any distractions and without any noise. If someone asks you, what did you do in your time of solitude? What did you do in your time apart? The correct response should really be nothing. Nothing. 
because doing nothing does wonders for the soul. I still know the 23rd Psalm by heart, by the way. Learning it in those three minutes absolutely cemented it in my head forever. And maybe you know it by heart too. I guess the question is this. Do we just know it or do we live it? Our souls need rest. Amen. Let us pray. I invite you to bow your head and to close your eyes which eliminates the visual distraction. Just sit for a moment in silence. And the prayer that I'm going to pray is the 23rd Psalm, but read from Eugene Peterson's translation, The Message. God, my shepherd, I don't need a thing. You have made me lie down in the lush meadows. You find me quiet pools to drink from. True to your word, you let me catch my breath. And you send me in the right direction. Even when the way goes through Death Valley, I'm not afraid because you're walking at my side. Your trusty shepherd's crook makes me feel secure. You serve me a six-course dinner right in front of my enemies. You revive my drooping head my cup brims with blessing. Your beauty and love chase after me every day of my life. I'm back home in the house of God for the rest of my life. Amen. Friends, may you know the beauty of a soul that finds time in solitude of a soul that finds its rest in the acceptance of God. May you find beauty in a moment where you're able to have your soul restored as you rest and do nothing. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God our Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all and those whom we love this day and forevermore. Amen.